0: This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you all to Mugglecast, hoping you enjoy it. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Here, Dobby. Yes. Well, I just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce Mugglecast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: everyone, welcome back for another edition of MuggleCast. I'm here with Matt. Hey everyone, this is Matt. And this is uh, MuggleCast. Wait, you're who? Uh,
2: this is Matt.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> obviously. Don't know who you are, to be honest. But um, we're back for, a, this is, this is going to be a special edition of MuggleCast. There's no other co-host this week. We're here just to narrate, so to speak. <laughs> Get it? Get it? <laughs> no. Maybe, uh, because um, the Jim Dale interview. The thing. Oh. All right. Yeah. So um, this week is, of course, our big interview with Jim Dale, along with Micah Tannenbaum, a fellow co-host here on the show, and Aziza from Portis, portis2008.org. Anyway, um, there's not going to be any special content this week. We're just going to give you a few announcements. Matt, we had a great live show the other day, didn't we?
2: We did. You know, that was a really good show. A lot of people were really up for it, um, and a lot of people listened how many people did we had oh we had over a hundred thousand people usually oh at least yeah at least 10 or 12
1: million <laughs> whoa <sighs> anyway uh episode 136 was our live show where we went we streamed a live feed of us onto the internet so everyone could listen and then call in and ask questions about the uh big news this week which was Deathly Holly's being split in two uh we mm-hmm. actually asked jim dale about his thoughts on that and that'll be coming up in just a few minutes in the interview that's right but anyway we want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in for that live show and thank you everyone who's listened to it thus far it's basically a regular episode of microcast only we're having a ton of fun ben came back jamie came back really quick uh kevin Mm -hmm. steck came back so a lot of fun Uh, definitely and everyone was saying it was our best live show ever so check it out episode 136 we're very proud of that That's right.
2: And we're also planning on doing a lot more. Um, I know Andrew said in the past that we were planning on doing more of those live episodes, but we... we they didn't really get a chance to do that, but, Andrew, are we really going to do any more live episodes? Are you up for that?
1: Yes, absolutely. We will do uh, more live episodes in the coming uh, months ahead. We don't know when exactly, and we apologize to anyone who missed our live show this week, but I'm thinking what we'll do is we'll create a, a mailing list, a MuggleCast mailing list, and that mm-hmm. way, so people don't miss upcoming shows, we will send out an email a few days before, or as soon as we know, we're doing a live show, so everyone can uh, make sure that they make it. Because a lot of people were upset that they missed episode one thirty six alive. But as we had promised, we said we were going to be doing a live show as soon as Warner Brothers broke the news about the movie split, and they did, and we did a live show the day later. So yeah, so sorry guys, I mean, but um, next time we'll let you know. Next time, yeah, Matt, what are we owning this week?
2: We are owning Podcast Alley yeah podcast alley we freaking rule
1: we man. freaking rule we're uh number one this month so far thanks to everyone who's been voting for us uh it's MuggleCast march so we have to win and uh, yes we encourage all of you to continue voting you can only vote once a month uh but don't forget to vote next month for uh April, and then uh muggle cast may muggle cast moon Muggle Cast Mugglecast
2: Muggle Cast May just doesn't sound very good. you got to be more creative than that, Andrew. Come on. Mm,
1: muggle, muggle May.
2: Muggle May. How about Maycast? Or Maycast. Muggle.
1: Muggle yeah. May. Muggle May. Muggle,
2: muggle May. Okay. M- muggle, Muggle, Muggle.
1: Anyway, uh, thank you to everyone who's voted for us. We, you know, it's out of nowhere this month. We're number one. Everyone decided to uh, help us out this month. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: We have a very comfortable lead, too, on it. Yes, we do. At least a couple hundred
1: votes. And uh, we find that important to stay high up in that top 10 list because we want uh, people new to podcasting to visit Podcast Alley, which they do, and see that MagoCast, oh, it must be a great podcast. And I mean, (laughs) it is. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's waste no more time this week, Matt. All right. Let's do it. We're going to jump straight into the interview with the one and only narrator of the U.S. and Canada, Harry Potter audiobooks, Jim Dale. We're going to be joined now by Micah Tannenbaum and Aziza. All right, Mm -hmm. Matt, Mike, and I are now joined by Aziza from Portis. Hey, Aziza.
3: Hey, guys. Yay. Uh, Yay. We
1: we got a big interview coming up in just a couple minutes. We do. But uh, do you want to explain your... Your job at Portis so everyone can get to know you a little bit.
3: Sure. Well, um, I am the Portis' Public Relations Chair. So basically, I make sure that all of you guys know what you need to know about Portis, and I keep you updated with the monthly newsletter, as well as the Portis Previews, which is the official podcast for Portis, in which uh, we kind of interview all of the special guests, the Wizard Rock bands, the podcasters, everyone who will make Portis um, what Portis is going to be in July. So um, yeah, basically, I'm the one that knows what you got to know for Portis.
1: Sweet. Um, awesome. And you've been doing a great job. HP2008.org. Oh, Portis2008.org. Yes. so Definitely um, visit
3: the website. The website is a great resource for everything. And we have a MySpace page, a Facebook page, and even a live journal page.
1: Awesome. So All the bases
4: are covered.
2: We'll put yeah, that all guys on the show notes too,
1: yeah. so they can watch, so they can find it. Yeah, I, I, we each have each other in our top eights on MySpace, so we're like best yes, friends. We do. That automatically yes, we means are. we're best friends.
3: <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I think it is time to uh, call him. right? Call him. Oh my god. Let's do okay, it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> everyone,
3: everyone, take a drink of water. Oh, I'm so nervous. Are you guys nervous? Yeah,
1: I am actually. I, I've been drinking all my water. I'm going to be out before we even I call know. him. <laughs>
3: And then we're going to be like, excuse me, Mr. Dale, I have to go pee. Excuse um, me, Mr.
2: Dale. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to take a sip of water and then we'll call him.
2: Okay. All right.
3: Um, we are uh, now joined by Jim Dale, the U.S. narrator of the Harry Potter books. Mr. Dale is a Tony Award winning actor and will be joining us at Portis this July since he might know a little bit about this Harry Potter stuff. Hi, Mr. Dale.
0: Hello. Nice to be with you.
3: It's great to have you here and hear that voice.
1: Yeah. It's kind of surreal hearing it outside the audiobooks. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) We want to start off the questions today with a uh, recent news story. I'm not sure if you heard about this yet, but they decided to split the final film into two parts. Did you hear
0: about this? Yes, I read, ab- I read about that. You know, my, my only problem with the films is, you know, if a, if a story is written for the screen, then it has a beginning, a middle, and end, including all the characters. When you take an existing story that lasts, when you listen to it or read it, it lasts 27 hours, and you try to condense that into a two-hour film, you're surely missing out and losing a lot of, first of all, the story and all the side stories and all the characters. I think uh, 60 characters were missing from one of the films due to the fact they had to edit the story down so much so that's a pity but if they're going to make it into two films then at least it gives all of us a a chance of seeing and hearing uh, a little bit more of the stories and the subsidiary characters in that story I'm very pleased they're doing that
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely and that's what producer David Heyman said, that they want to give it, they want to do the final film more justice. So this is the only way they could do it.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, if they gave every film that justice, each film would last about 10 hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
5: oh, that is true.
1: <laughs> what are your thoughts about the movies in general, real quick, before we get into the book? Well,
0: questions. that was, that, actually, what I just said to you was the way I feel. If it's written for the screen, that's one story, that's one thing. If it's written to be read or to be listened to and then adapted for the screen, you are bound to lose uh, such a lot of it, such a lot of the content. When J.K. Rowling describes a scene, it can take two whole pages, and you are taken with her through a journey of what that scene is and what it looks like. Yeah. She has something under every stone that she lifts up, something for you to appreciate, understand, to focus on. Uh, but when it's captured on film, that one scene of of the view can last for two seconds, then it cuts to, it cuts away. So those are the things that you lose when you adapt something for the screen. Yeah. You, you lose the, the writer's lovely technique of dis- description.
1: Yeah. You, that is such an interesting answer. Um, now, about about the movies a little bit more. If you were approached for a role, which one would you take? <laughs> which one would you choose if you could pick any? I don't
0: know. I suppose at my age, I, I mean, years and years ago, I would go to, for Dobby, I suppose, or something. i <laughs> <laughs> I put a long nose on me, you know, but I'm too tall for that. But anyway, I would probably, I would probably go for Dumbledore. Okay. <laughs> the unfortunate thing was, you know, Richard Harris was uh, was uh, playing Dumbledore for a hey. few years and Richard was saying, you know, after one or two films, you find that you're sitting around on the set for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks not doing anything. And he was getting a little bored with it.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> you wouldn't want that. <laughs> um. Well since, well, since you talked a little bit about Richard Harris, uh, did, what kind of a relationship did you have with uh, the late actor?
0: We we were friends. Um, I made a film with him in uh, in uh, where was it uh, Budapest. We met in Budapest, and mm-hmm. I did a film called The The Hunchback. It was m- with Mandy Patinkin and uh, and Selma Hayek as well. And oh. we were there for many 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 weeks. And Richard and I had a lot of time to spare, so we spent time together. And I got to know him and uh, realised he was one of the nicest actors you could ever meet.
2: Oh, Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice to hear. It's, he does seem he does seem like that kind of person too. Absolutely,
0: wonderful singer as well. Oh, Really, <laughs> MacArthur Park—that wonderful song he recorded, MacArthur Park. It's so one of my favorite songs. I couldn't believe I was meeting the guy who actually sang it. I was a fan. I was a great fan.
2: Okay, well, let's get into the books themselves a little bit now. Um, so, Mr. Dale, how did you get chosen for the job? you I mean... call me Jim. I, you know. Okay. Please, no more. Okay, Jim. <laughs> They told me to say that. <laughs> so, did, were, were you? Did you? Did you get approached for it? Did you audition for for the job? Or
0: well, obviously they, they said well, after we got the job they said we were looking for someone um, who could uh, do a few voices perhaps, and the, the man who was uh, trying to find the right narrator was called Tim Ditlow Uh, and Tim heard that Jim Dale, the actor was in an off Broadway production of travels with my aunt. It was a very famous film with Maggie Smith many, many years ago, the aunt and the nephew. And he was told that there were uh, three actors speaking in the play. Um, all dressed in ident- identical suits, with identical moustaches, with identical hairstyles, and they were doing a total of 33 different characters, women, children, uh, foreign people, you know, with strange accents, unbelievable policemen and villains. And so he thought, great, so he hired me to do the job of uh, reading for Harry Potter and then found out that Jim Dale only played the nephew and the aunt. The other <laughs> two guys played thirty one. 31 roles between them so i really got the job under false pretenses but uh, <laughs> i'm very pleased i did as are we <laughs> what's what? what
2: kind of process do you take
0: when you prepare for reading well never having uh, never having uh, narrated an audio book before, I think I think I had a tackled one many many years ago. It must have been so bad it was never released. Um, <laughs> oh. So I, I really didn't know how how to do it. So uh, I had to use my own inventive, inventiveness, and uh, I realized when I read the first page that it would be a good idea to mark the characters as we as I got to them, not only on the script but also on a separate notepad, and uh, also to to read the first sentence that that character speaks into a tape recorder, prefacing it with, say, page one, Dumbledore. Um, and then read the first sentence that Dumbledore speaks. And I realized if I did that, then I could go to the studio with this tape recorder and tape, and any time I was a little confused as to what voice I had invented, then I would replay the tape to voice 27, say, which was on page 31, and that was in the script, so I knew it was voice 37. I would rewind or uh, wind the tape onto voice 27, Listen to it, and then it would jog my memory as the the voice for that particular character. And I thought, well, that that seems a good way to go. Uh, then also, you you do have to um, a- attack that script um, by marking it constantly because the writer doesn't say the the sentence like Dumbledore said da 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 da. It's always the opposite. Da 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 said Dumbledore. <laughs> So therefore, you have to know who is speaking prior to speaking that line. So all the dialogue has to be marked either with the initial of the character or you identify the character with a certain color. So sometimes that page looks like a rainbow, Yeah, different colors. But of course, you have to memorize what the colors mean and what (laughs) names they represent.
2: I could imagine. How many times would you say you, you read the books? Uh, but oh, I'm, why, why I'm very
0: you... lucky. I'm very lucky if I get a chance to read it uh, once. Um, oh, really? I'm given, I'm given the book. I'm given the book on maybe Saturday, and mm-hmm. on Monday. And on Monday, I'm supposed to be in the studio recording it. Wow! Now. That's how, see what happens is that we are, I think the publishing company negotiate for the rights to make the audiobook. But then, of course, we have to wait for the, the, the real book to be published, and then a copy of it sent to us after it's been um, corrected, etc. And we get it very, very late. So we've only got maybe seven weeks or eight weeks before the book comes on, uh, out onto the shelves of the bookstore, which means that if our tape is not on the shelf on the same day, then the kids can't wait for the audiobook, they'll buy the book and their parents will then say, we'll buy you the book, but we're not getting you the tapes as well. So we have to do a very, very quick job of, of mm-hmm. recording and, and everything that goes on after that. See, the, the recording of the, of the book is quite easy for me. Um, I... I, I rush through my recording of it, but then it has to go through the hands of some very, very clever people called the editors. And it's the editors who find every mistake in that script that I have uh, recorded. Every mistake has to be corrected, so I have to go back into the studio. Uh, then only when it's I've finished that can they determine how many CDs uh, it will need for the package. Only then can the package be designed all of this has to be done and then taken to the factories and everything has to be, uh, you know, uh, printed and published and packed and sent out to those shops throughout America in time for that opening day that the uh, the book is released. So it's very, very fast and uh, I just cannot take my time uh, in the first in the first one or two or three books of Harry Potter, I was able to do that because the books were already on the market. There was mm-hmm. we were in no hurry to get the audio books out. The books had been sold, so I could, you know think of maybe one or two or three different voices for a particular character, and then choose from, make, make it my choice as to which of those three voices I would finally select. Later on, I just did not have the time to do that. I just had to think of a voice, say to myself, is it or isn't it, yes it is, and then tape it, uh, as I said, on my little tape recorder, and move on to the next voice. Because later on, as you'll appreciate, you know, when you get 134 voices, in book five, that that's a lot of voices to invent. Um, yeah. Also, I may, may I mention that uh, b- book seven was 147 voices, wow. which broke the previous record. But then people say, so she invented an, another seven characters or eight characters? And the answer to that is no. What she did in book seven is she took out 60 characters that were in book five and invented another 71 oh, characters. Wow. Oh, my <laughs> You understand? So all that added up adds up to, a, you know, 140, uh, 45 voices, I think. So it wasn't a matter of just inventing seven more voices. It was a matter of inventing 50 or 55 or 60 new voices. Distinct mm-hmm. voices. Will know. Yeah. So that was a problem. Well, you say, because you run out of voices you know, my, my wife she's reading in bed late at night and she hears me screaming out where are you where are you <laughs> So it's always very difficult sometimes I, I don't even know who Jim Dale is at the end of the day <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well,
3: with Deathly Hallows, since you created so many voices for it, what was your, did you have a favorite character that was um, excluded to that book, or did you have a favorite scene while you were reading oh, in DH?
5: Dear.
0: Well, let me let me explain something. That, uh, as, as I've just explained the, the how quickly we have to do it, you'll appreciate that, When I read the book, I am really browsing through it very quickly to get to the characters, to get to the characters to identify who they are, what they are, and then invent a voice for them and record it and then move on. And when you have so many voices to invent, you can't spend too much time, as a reader would, just sitting there, swallow it, tasting every word that is that is written by J.K. Rowling. You have to just scroll through the script, as it were, quite quickly uh, to focus on what is very important, which is the, uh, the construction and uh, um, the designing of that character's voice. Because you have to become that character. You have to get into the head of that character and see the world through their eyes, whether they're a snake or a spider or or a villain or a hero. You have to be in their head. So at the end of the day, when I've got all the tape ready to record, I haven't really followed the story that closely. So the first time I actually read the story and focus on it is when I'm recording it.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and uh, then, of course, we're in such a great hurry that there are no takes two, three, four, five, or six we don't do it that way. I have to keep reading until something happens causing them to have to stop the tape. Something happens in the way that uh, there might be, be uh, a page that has to be turned. That would make a sound. So I have to, stop the, we have to stop the tape then. If I just touch my shirt and it makes a scratching sound, that can be picked up by the microphone. We have to stop and go back on that. So there are many instances when we have to keep stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Uh-huh. And while we're doing that, Yesterday's recording is being listened to, and the editors are now coming back into the studio today to ask me to re-record stuff I did two days before. So it's all very fast and furious and uh, mind-boggling at some times. I have no idea what I'm doing half the time. (laughs) Because I've I've forgotten the mood that I was in two days ago. I'm asked to record one line. What was the mood that I was? My character was in. So it it, it all takes a lot of working out before you you come up with the final the final version of it.
2: Yeah, I could just imagine just all that stuff to think about and all these people coming at you.
0: But this is not just me. Uh, this is this applies to every narrator who narrates a book that contains characters whose voices have to be heard so it's not just Jim Dale it's every narrator goes through this and has their own technique their own way of, of capturing uh, the story for their listeners to understand and appreciate and enjoy
1: Mm-hmm. You keep mentioning uh, all these people involved in, in this whole audiobook process. I'm wondering how many people exactly are involved just working on your your narration between the editors and the people listening to well, you. I well, would,
0: I, would, I would say the immediate people. There would be me sitting in a small cubicle, not daring to move because you have to just face the microphone constantly. Yeah. Um, through the glass divider, there are three people sitting out there. One is the engineer, one is the producer, and one is a, a, somebody who can be called the producer's assistant. It's just another ear. What they are listening to is you, for, waiting for you to make a mistake. Yeah, Because that's when they stop you. You put an S on that word. You've left out an A, or you left out the the. You left something out, or you, you, we couldn't hear you on that word. So it's stop, start, stop, start. Um, quite a lot. So they, those are those people. And then the tapes are then sent to the editors. And In a Harry Potter book, there could be six editors in the next room. And okay. someone is in charge of them. And then after the editors then come the uh, the other people who will be doing all the packaging design and then the, the people who will be working in the factories. You know, so there are hundreds of people involved in it.
3: <laughs> wow. Right. Do you ever get to just read it for your own enjoyment?
0: I haven't got the time. Oh. I really don't have the time. Um, I go from see. I, I'm not just a narrator. I, I'm I'm a, a working actor in the theatre, right. and I have scripts that I have to read. I have scripts that I have to learn. I have rehearsals that I that go on from ten o'clock in the morning till five thirty at night, and then I have things to do in the evening concerning a one man show. Um, so there, there's quite a lot of activity in my life other than narration.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Did you ever have a part of the books that made you laugh out loud or even tear up or anything like that and you're fast-taking?
0: Oh, you mean of Harry Potter? Right, right. Oh, yes, there are so many things. I would fall off. I'd, I'd be falling about with laughter at some of these silly voices i created. <laughs> um, Aunt Marge is a lovely example. <laughs> but, you know, when, then you have to find these voices. Aunt Marge... You know, she sort of talks like this. She was wonderful. She, or or he, I saw in a pub once, he was sitting, this fat, jovial sort of colonel with a big red nose and a bushy moustache, and he had a, a gin and tonic in his hand, and that was the way he was talking like that. And then I realized that you know, when you get a, a, a lady and a fella, an, a, an older man and an older lady, there's not much difference between them. So the <laughs> voice was quite acceptable to be that of a woman as well as a man. I, I realized that. You know, when you, two, when you see two people sitting on a park bench, an old man and an old woman, you can't tell which is which. She sits just like he does. She doesn't sit with her legs crossed when her toe pointed. She sits like an old man sits. Um, <laughs> People get almost identical <laughs> later on, not just the way they behave sitting there, but the way they talk as well. Yeah. So that well, I think- Aunt Marge was—I uh, don't don't know what his real name was, bless his heart—but he was the inspiration <laughs> for Aunt Marge. Aww. and so the, when I was using that voice I, I, it made me laugh a lot so you know, that's when we have to the producer will say will you please stop laughing we've got a book to record and go on with it. but you've got to have fun it would, or, or it would drive you crazy yeah
4: well I, I think that's a fair assessment of Aunt Marge but looking back on the whole series what character's voice was your favorite to do?
0: oh I suppose Dobby um I think everybody knows the story about Dobby but if you'd like me to repeat right. it I will
3: I would love for you to cuz it's one of my favorite things <laughs>
0: well, it was Dobby was when I was uh, in a theatre, I, I was doing a, a pantomime called Jack, Jack and the Beanstalk, but there was also another pantomime in the same group of buildings, one called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and I didn't know that there was a dwarf in the elevator, this crowded <laughs> elevator, when I backed into it, and all people were coming in, and we were squashing in, and then suddenly, the, in the silence while the elevator was going up, I heard this voice saying, excuse me, sir, can you take your bum out of my face? Face. <laughs> and, and there was this little fella standing there. I said, I do, I, "I'm sorry. I do apologise. It's all right." So they all do it. They all do it. <laughs> um, and I remembered that voice and uh, from a long time ago, when I was a young pop singer in England, when I was about 22 years old. So these voices stay with you. You know, you you really have to try to bring back memories of distinctive voices. And I found that the most distinctive voices of the people from my youth were those of the comedians on the radio. You had to have a distinctive voice so that people would know who you are. You must admit, all comics just have to say good evening, and you know exactly who they are. And it was the same in the old days. So I remembered a few old comics, and I used their voices as a stepping stone towards the characters' voices. And it worked many, many times.
4: Yeah. And because, Davi, was your favorite, I mean, was that uh, death scene in Deathly Hollows particularly difficult to do?
0: Absolutely. Yes, of course it was. Oh. But as I said, you know, you have to get into the head of, of all the characters. And there comes a time when uh, the characters are, um, you know, they become real to you. And I think you've got to see the world through their eyes. And uh, it was very, very sad. Very sad. Yeah
4: yeah what was do you think was the hardest voice for you to come up with
0: uh not the hardest but the most aggravating i I hated doing too much of hagrid because well the first time we (laughs) first time i did hagrid it was a lot of dialogue and and uh, i lost my voice within 20 minutes and we had to stop recording i mean that's how bad it can be if uh, because hagrid you know the gravel voice i won't do it now that really does you shouldn't ever treat your vocal cords like that you're vocal cords are your instrument and you can play various tunes on the instrument but if you break that instrument or or cause it to uh, malfunction then you're going to be out of a job you're not going to be able to do it so you really have to take great care of your voice like all opera singers have to like all pop singers have to as well Uh, because it's 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 the the way of earning money and if you destroy it or ruin it by uh, treating it like that then uh, you're not going to be around for very long. So I really hated it. I mean, there was one scene, I forget what book it was, but Hagrid had been on holiday. Now, J.K. Rowling could have said, asked Harry to say, how was your holiday? And Hagrid said, fine, oh, I'm back now. That's all he had to say. But instead, he went on for four or five pages explaining where he'd been, what he did, who he, yeah. you know. Oh, it went on and on and on, and I was dying... <laughs> I was dying for him to give it up and fall asleep, and <laughs> yeah. so that was a problem. Anything that's a strain to the voice, uh, be very wary of. Interesting. But what it does, it teaches you not to create voices with that gravelly effect. <laughs> right. Just so do it. Right. It's Silly.
2: There are uh, you. Pretty much give all of Joe Rowling's is characters voices. Does. Does she ever put any input to the voices when you're reading?
0: No, not really. I've met Jake Jake about, what, twi- three times, I think. Um, the first time was after she'd already published books three and four, I think. So she arrived in, in, in New York, and uh, I was asked to go along to meet her at this party. So I took along all my four books, and uh, she very kindly signed all four books. You know, she'd listened to me recording. She'd never... She said she knew my work as, a, as an actor in England and trusted me. So that was enough. And uh, she, she didn't uh, tell me I was doing anything wrong. And we really only had uh, the communication between J.K. Rowling and the producer was about the pronunciation of certain words that she herself had invented and perhaps wanted us to read in a certain way or pronounce in a certain way. So those are, those are the only contact notes we had with her. I did do a reading on American television one morning with JK, um, standing at my shoulder. On one shoulder was a a white owl, on the other shoulder was JK Rowling. So it was all a bit weird and frightening uh, (laughs) to actually have the author listening to you read. Yeah. But uh, she was very complimentary and she's a lovely lady.
3: Do you have a blooper reel of maybe when you have messed up in the series or if you've misread something? Do I have what? A blooper reel. Kind
0: of like. Oh, um... I wish we did. No, we've no time <laughs> for doing that. If it was, you just you'd see what happened between them. I know nobody is listening to this, so just between you and me. Um, <laughs> if, if something, if something, re- I, if I really want to do it again, I just swear. And I have to stop the tape. It works every time, Uh, you know. um, But uh, that's sort of very seldom because I. you know when you jump from one character to another to another each character's in a different mood one is angry one is sympathetic one is appealing one is frightened and they're all on the same page so not only do they 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 have different voices but they have different emotions that must come out in that voice that can be very straining um mm-hmm. And there's no practice, there's no rehearsal time for that. Mm-hmm. We don't rehearse any of these. We just turn the mic on and say go, and uh, that's it till lunchtime. Um, so th- <laughs> those are the problems, you know, as I said, you know, trying to c- create all that from with your voice the way you would read it on the page. I have to transfer all those emotions into something that can be heard by the listener. And sometimes when there are five or six different characters on the same page, and you, the dialogue jumps from one to another to another to another, uh, it can drive one crazy.
3: <laughs> right. You mentioned that you have to take care of your instrument, which is your voice, very carefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you drink tea, or do you do anything um,
0: to now, do only that? The thing I take is not to have ice cold water. That's crazy. You have uh, room temperature water. And... Uh, a lot of people say, "Well, you, you know, do you keep going dry?" The answer is, of course, you do, because every time you you talk, um, moisture is coming out of your mouth in the way in your breath. So, consequently, you can go all day without having to go. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, and so I just drink uh, water occasionally, but uh, sometimes there's more saliva in your mouth than there should be and it can be heard in your voice. So for those occasions, the secret uh, for, that all narrators know or should know is that you have a green apple in the oh. studio with you and what you do is you take just a bite not a great bite just a bite of the green apple chew on it and then spit it out into the waste paper basket and that clears your mouth of all the uh, the, the sounds of saliva Right. And, that's, uh, interesting. These are yeah. little tips. Little, little tips. But you should never take chocolate in there. To, to, to <laughs> chew. Really, I mean, you mustn't do this. Um, just keep your, your your voice as fresh as it can be. Mm.
3: Yeah. Hmm, I think I may take that uh, green apple advice as
0: well. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, it works every time. Yeah, that's perfect.
4: <laughs> Jim, I know you mentioned before that um, you don't always get time to read the books for enjoyment, but have you ever listened to Stephen Fry and his narrations of the books?
0: No, I haven't. Um, S- Stephen does it all for – I think it's just for England. I do it for America right. and Canada. Um, no, I haven't. Um I think my my grandchildren haven't either because I my publishing company over here immediately send my audio books over to England for my grandchildren and uh, my grandchildren have a queue of people, their friends who who want to read the American version just to just to hear the different voices. I've no idea what Stephen sounds like. Um, My relationship with Stephen Fry goes back to Me and My Girl, the Broadway musical that I did um, here in New York. And Stephen Fry wrote most of the dialogue for... Uh, me and My Girl. The original uh, script, I think, was lost, but Stephen's wonderful at the old jokes, and I was complaining to him. He came to my apartment prior to us rehearsing, and I was saying, some of these jokes are so old, Stephen. You know, I, I knew them at school. Can we change them? <laughs> Stephen said, no, I think we'll leave them in. And I said, but Stephen, look, there's one joke here. You know, he, he he says to the chef, he says to the cook, what's this? And the cook says, it's bean soup. And he says, I don't care what it's bean." What is it now? <laughs> that's so old. We've all heard it. <laughs> well, let's leave it in. You know, it got the biggest laugh of the night. <laughs> the laugh because what happens, you see, is what is an old, an old joke to me. An old joke to me is a, only a joke I've heard. Uh-huh. A new joke to someone is a, only a joke they haven't heard. Mm. And some of these jokes, for me and my girl, go back two or three hundred years there was a there was a a joke book called uh, somebody miller's somebody miller's jest book 1740 or something like that and some of these jokes were in that joe miller's jest book it was called and some of the jokes that the children are still telling at school today uh, not originate from that book they were uh, printed in that book as jokes that existed at that time and 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 so you know there is no such thing as a as a an old joke as a as a new joke. it's just a joke you haven't heard and so consequently, all the old jokes that we were brought up in uh, up with in England were incorporated into me and my girl, and the American audiences had never heard them and treated them as new jokes
5: mm-hmm.
0: and that was the terrific success of me and my girl it It mm-hmm. went on for a couple of years, two or three years on Broadway. With Emma Thompson playing in fantastic the, ori- the original production in London with Robert Lindsay. Wow! And I did it over here with Marianne Plunkett, that wonderful, wonderful actress. That's so fantastic. that was great fun.
3: Well, that sounds- yeah, that sounds amazing, um, Jim. You had mentioned your family and your kids. Are they uh, a fan of the books?
0: Oh, absolutely! In fact, we have a connection. My, I have three sons, or all of them connected with show business. One of them actually is an actor touring in England at the moment in uh, uh, what is it, Fiddler on the Roof? Um, I have another son who runs a studio designing and making sets for commercials and f- for films, and my third son is connected to Harry Potter in a big way. He, every film that Harry Potter if they do, there are helicopter shots, and my son Adam Dale. If you Google him, there's his. For, the first name that comes up is Adam Dale, and he is uh, a top top cameraman, a helicopter no cameraman. Oh wow! And Adam's Adam's done the last. He's just finished the last. I think he's still doing it. The last Harry Potter b- uh, film. No, you know, I was just going to say
1: we found out last week that they're uh, filming at Millennium Bridge in London, and they are doing That's helicopter right. shots.
0: Is he? Well, any, what any happened? Yeah, but what happened? Adam phoned me, and he said, it's been great fun today, because I took my grand, my son down. I've uh, got, got a grandson called Angus. He took Angus down to the film set. They were shooting this bridge, and left Angus while he went up in the helicopter, shooting very low over the River Thames. Then the helicopter landed, and they put Angus in it. And so Angus went for his first trip um, in a Harry Potter helicopter last That's
4: week. Awesome.
3: I'm
0: jealous. So a little Angus, he's about seven or eight now, eight. He met he met all the cast, which was wonderful. Cool.
3: I'm definitely jealous now. (laughs) Um, Did Did they ever ask you, your grandkids or your uh, sons? Did they ever ask you to do any of the voices?
0: Uh, The voices.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: For Their Harry Potter
0: Grandchildren Oh yes Of course they, 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 they love it But they don't See I don't see them a lot I, I, If I go over to England And I stay in a hotel I have to wait there Until everybody's available to me mm-hmm. Some of them have homework Some of them have girlfriends Some of them are out Some are busy Some of that, that, that. The Aww. best thing for me to do Is to bring them to America then I can wake them up at two o'clock in the morning and take them fishing if, if I'm, we're at my house in the country. I do have them 24 or seven, yeah, seven days a week, 24 hours of the day for me to talk to. So that's the the time. And we don't have a lot of time talking about Harry Potter. We have a lot of time talking about who they are. I want to know who they are and trying to find out uh, who my grandchildren are. I don't see them that very often, that often. So uh, I have to take every opportunity of finding out who these little people are. (laughs) You
4: you mentioned your relationship with Stephen Fry, but do you have any sort of relationship with Mary Grand Prix?
0: No, none at all. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 one can only answer yes or no
5: <laughs>
3: well then moving on. moving
1: on neither do we
2: really uh,
1: no. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the books a little bit more what are your th- feelings about the entire series as a whole, I mean, now that's complete...
0: Absolutely brilliant. Um, Absolutely. I, when I read the first book, I was blown away by it, as were most people. I couldn't believe that she, this, this writer had so much to say and that she was going to tell this one story over seven books. Yeah. I mean, at J. Ron L. Hubbard, is reputed to be the one who has written the longest um, fictional story, which is over one million words long. Uh, Now, I don't know how many words J.K. Rowling has written in the total seven books of Harry Potter, but I I just admire someone tremendously who has, in her head, not on a computer, in her head uh, worked out a very complicated story with uh, so many different voices, so many different characters who are vocal and have their own say, and she had it all worked out from the word go. Um, yeah, yeah. Anybody who has that kind of mind, to me, is a genius, and I, uh, I will use genius for J.K. Rowling. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I, I'm in, in awe of the way that she kept this story in her head on scraps of paper. Uh, perhaps only later did she use a computer.
1: Absolutely, But she
0: was quite prepared to plan the whole seven books Without the computer, she didn't know they were going to be this successful.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, did mm-hmm. you ever have any questions about the series that were answered later on?
0: No, not really, because I knew that she had the answers. It's no good puzzling your brain out. You know, everything will be explained as we go along. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, it was. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. You just have to trust the, the writer. And in this case, uh, she never let anyone down, I don't think. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah definitely. Uh, Jim, um, you, you've, you've read all the books, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, do any of the characters in the book, do you, do you relate to more than others? Is there any character you relate to the most? Oh,
0: um, but you see, as a narrator, um, it's like an actor when you're given a, a role, a character to p- portray in a play or a musical, you have to, Get to know that character, and you—you you probably get to love him. It doesn't matter whether he's the hero or the villain. Um, you are interpreting the author's words to create a character. So, um, I love all the characters I've mm-hmm. ever created um, on stage, um, on in in narration. You have to. You have to love these people. They're—they're they're all so real to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of these voices come over as caricatures. I think they all are a little a little more than real. I mean, peeves, you know, yes, peeves, um, (laughs) those eccentric voices. But that's, you see, there are people in this world who we call, in England, over here you call them, you know, great aunts. In England we call them eccentrics. These people (laughs) at a certain age, they become acceptable to us. Those with most outrageous voices, you know the ones who talk like this, uh, but there are people who talk like that. They're not exaggerating. That's the way they talk. They always have. All was (laughs) wilder. Wonderful, you know. I've met these people, and they are real. They don't treat themselves as caricatures.
5: Hmm. You know,
0: so you you yourself mustn't treat them when you use an outrageous—that's the word I think—an outrageous voice. People do have outrageous voices, same as they have outrageous gestures, or they wear outrageous costumes. this is who they are and you have to respect that Mm -hmm. they create far more as a character than a normal bloke who just wears nothing or has a a boring voice and when when you say hello to him he's stuck for an answer you know these are the people who are boring on earth but the eccentrics are the wonderful ones we always Mm -hmm. wish we had an eccentric in the family every family in england wants its own eccentric you know it's wonderful yes
3: you have such a huge wealth of character voices do you ever do impressions of uh real life figures
0: yes in fact my i I broke into show business that way i went along for an audition for a touring production in music hall it was uh these were discoveries these were people that they discover in various towns and Mm -hmm. if you're that good you join the show and tour with them until they discover somebody who has more talent than you in another town, and they need <laughs> the sack. So mm-hmm. uh, this guy came to our local town, and I went along with two or 300 other people from all the surrounding districts for an audition. And I, I was doing singing and uh, a little bit of tap dancing then, and I thought, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do uh, impressions. I'll use voices. So uh, I waited by the side of the stage, and when they announced my name, I walked onto the stage and tripped over a big curtain that was, um, and I fell flat on my face in front of all the hundreds of other people who immediately laughed, because obviously this guy is an idiot. He tripped over as soon as he came in, so <laughs> he's not going to get the job. So I limped I limped to the microphone, and I did my impressions, and from the out back of the theater, I heard the voice saying, those impressions are terrible, <laughs> and I remember shouting back, I think they're very good, <laughs> 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 but, but we don't know who your mother's butcher is. I said, well, I think that's funny, um, doing impressions of people you never heard of. I said, they, they, know the, the, they know these people in Rothwell. He said, we're not in Rothwell. This is where I was born. Did <laughs> You can't tour the country doing impressions of people you've never anyone's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Too surrealistic. But the fall you did when you came on, that was funny. Go home, <laughs> get an act up where you fall over, come back tonight. And that's exactly what I did. And that night I went on and I did... I was thrown on actually by two stage hands and one grabbed my legs and one grabbed my arms. I was only 17 and they swung me three or four times. And as he said, Jim Dale out flew this body 12 feet into the center, in the air, you know, it's 12 feet into the center of the stage. And I just wow. crashed the center stage. And uh, it was about a four or five minute act. And afterwards, the audience sort of loved it. And uh, they they asked me to join the show, which I did. And I was with them for a year and a half and then that's that's how everything started you know from then some an agent came to see me and said when you come out of the royal air force in two years time phone me because i'd like to represent you as a stand-up as your agent you'd be a stand-up comedian and i joined him within months of me being a stand-up comedian i was asked to warm an audience up for the first rock and roll show in england which i did and i sang a song on somebody's guitar and after that they said can you come back next week as a singer
5: Oh, my gosh.
0: And I appeared oh me as a singer. Then George Martin, the Beatles' George Martin, phoned up and said, I'm, I've just become a recording manager, and I'd like you as my first recording artist. Will you oh, become wow. a pop singer? That's how that started. And then two years later, I was asked to join um, the Edinburgh Festival playing Shakespeare. And then Laurence Olivier came to see the show and said, would you like to come to the National Theatre? And then the National Theatre sent a production to America in 1973 with me playing Petruchio and a show called Scapino, which I helped to write. And it was Scapino that was the hit and stayed on Broadway for a year and a half. And then now the rest is is history. Disney came along and offered me three films. After that, in 1980, came Barnum the big musical and right. that was 27 years ago and since then I've just worked in America except for one one trip to London to play Fagin in Ola, in Cameron Mackintosh's Oliver at the London Palladium but I've been in here in New York since then and that's how my career sort of progressed from that very first time I went on that stage to do impressions. And so
4: so this all started from tripping over oh. Kurt.
0: That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's, that is crazy. absolutely, yes. But I think what one should mention is, yes, it got a laugh tripping over the curtain, but the movements that I incorporated into my act were the result of having studied ballet and tap and national dancing and judo and eccentric oh. comedy dancing for six years. Prior to that, I'd been dancing since I was nine, and it's the movement that I learned doing all those 10 lessons a week sometimes, after school, straight into dancing lessons for two lessons, and then on Saturday mornings as well, another two. Um, so all of this physical training was, was invaluable when it came to working in the British musicals.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Uh,
0: In fact, you know, as a young stand-up comic, if they didn't laugh, if they didn't laugh, I would very deliberately limp. Off the stage slowly. So oh, bad for suddenly you? You. <laughs> Then suddenly you hear somebody clapping because they say, "Oh God, he's a cripple!" And, it would be like this. Like, and then I'd run back on, forgetting that you know, just run back on and take a nice big uh, curtsy like some leading <laughs> lady in a ballerina, you know. So it was all fun.
2: <laughs>
3: so you said in judo, you could probably easily kick all of our butts, then. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Probably.
0: Judo. Say it again.
3: <laughs> you've studied judo you could take all three of us right now <laughs> oh, no no
0: no 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 see that happened one night um somebody called something out from the second balcony and you're not allowed to say anything not in music called it's it's mm-hmm. you shouldn't do it but i did he called something out and i said i've got one word for you and like an idiot he called back what and i said jump So I go outside the stage door And the three of them are waiting for me Now it doesn't matter whether I've done judo I promise you when three guys attack you You really can't defend yourself You just go Uh on the floor, you curl up in a ball And you let them do what they want And then hopefully you can get up And the very next night after that I walked on the stage with a black eye And my arm uh, bandaged Saying a funny thing happened to me On the way home last night (laughs) You know the old musical joke A funny thing happened to me on the way to the theater <laughs> on the way home from the theater
2: oh dear oh, theater's dangerous
0: oh yes but it's uh your kids you know you can jump off a roof uh, when you're a kid and not hurt yourself yeah. you can get beat up as a kid as you often are and not hurt yourself too much
4: Now, mm-hmm. yeah. so, jim you you've do been around to,
0: what you do learn is not to call out to somebody jump that's what you <laughs> learn <laughs> <laughs> or at least
3: make sure they're smaller than you. <laughs>
0: That's true. <yeah. laughs> now, Jim,
4: you've been around the, the series for quite some time now. What do you think of the Harry Potter fandom as a whole? The, the sort oh, of how I think the it's fans...
0: unbelievable. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't appreciate how, how many fans and how ardent these fans were. Uh, living in New York can be quite isolationist. such isolation, um, if that's the right word. By that, I mean you have an apartment. Uh, Most people in New York live in an apartment, and they don't even know the people who live above them or below or maybe even next door. And Whereas if you live in a small town... Obviously, you get to know many, 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 many people. So I hadn't done many readings in New York City, and I was asked to go on a tour of some of the cities of America. And it was only when I arrived at these places, these smaller towns, that I realized that there was such a fanatical group of people called Potterheads yeah, (laughs) and they packed these theatres. We did one in the San Fernando Valley and they had to the the wall was one of those walls you could fold back and they folded the wall back and there was a car park and there were uh, I think about 100 seats put in the car park for the overflow of people so I was amazed at at how popular Harry Potter was. I hadn't understood it but uh, I realise now and they were there in their hundreds everywhere I traveled, you know, to promote uh, Harry Potter. Um, I couldn't believe, um, and, and lots of places. I'd look at the audio I usually bring the children up on the stage at the end of a reading, and I give them certain parts of the script to for them to read. Oh, that's a great! But point. I don't want them just making up voices. They have to do an impression of Jim Dale, right? Right, doing the voices. <laughs> that's fun, and then they get pr- they they get prizes of the latest CDs of Harry Potter. You know, <laughs> so I do this, and I remember at the one place I asked for the children to come up, and I looked around. And most of the people there were adults. I got about 10 children on the stage, but I had to ask for two adults to come up as well to make out the 12 people because I put them in teams of four. You know, But uh, it's not just children who are ardent fans, who no. are true Potterheads. It's a lot of adults as well. And oh, I was yeah. absolutely amazed. There are listeners, but, of... thr- but thrilled because you know. Come on, I'm. I I was a pop singer. I was a rock and roll singer. I was one of the few in England at that time, and we we didn't have many rock and roll singers. There was another guy called Tommy Steele, uh, another one called um, Cliff Richard, but there weren't that many. So the girls wanted to scream at what they thought was going to be a a bejeweled secret monster (laughs) bounding on the stage. And of course, Jim Dale arrived in a check shirt and jeans. Uh, They were screaming, they were screaming their heads off and, I remember you know, thinking, why weren't they here a few weeks ago when I was limping off the stage yeah. <laughs> as a comic? You know, this is fake. This is not for real. They're not screaming at me. They're screaming at anybody who sings a pop song. So I've been through that period of being mobbed at traffic lights by silly teenagers. Uh, and it was embarrassing, even to this day. I never go into a restaurant on my own. And if I do go with friends, I always face the wall. It's just a habit that I've got into. It's uh, like carrying your sucky blanket with you or something. <laughs> but, so when, when I, uh, I, I suddenly, in, at my age, I'm now a, uh, go along to do a reading, and it's like being a pop star again. It's mm-hmm. sort yeah. of it's wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful because um, nobody knows Jim Dale over here unless they go to the theater. I mean that seriously, and that's mm-hmm. my joy in life. I love <laughs> going to a small town in America, and nobody knows me. But if I was a big film star or a television personality or, as they say, a household name, uh, then I would be mobbed, and I had that. And it's not nice, because you can never say today I'm going out and nobody's going to recognize me. Every day, it's it's the same, and it can drive you crazy. So I am thrilled that the fact I turn up at these readings, and nobody knows Jim Dale until I'm introduced. In fact, at one radio station, there were three or four men there, and the man came into the room uh, who was about to uh, get me into the studio, and he looked around. He said, "Uh, Jim Dale?
1: Oh, oh no! Um, <laughs> no I, I said, oh, well, "I'll be
0: him. I'll be him." And put up my so what I'm saying is, I'm not known, so I'm not mobbed in the streets. That's the joy, and uh, it's uh, uh, fun now—so much fun at my age—to have a whole new audience of of youngsters. Yeah. who love the sort of thing I'm doing yeah. and I couldn't be more thrilled
2: Yeah. alright well that does it for our part one of the interview with Jim Dale if you guys want to catch on to part two of the interview just go on to Portis2008.org and catch on Portis previews and there you'll find the part two version of our exclusive interview
1: that was great Jim Dale's a great guy He he. we had so much fun with him
2: um, yeah. and we look forward to seeing him at Portis this mm-hmm. year He's really a fun guy to talk to. I mean, he's so much fun. He's very—he's so old
1: school. His thoughts on the movies um, and how they portray the stories is so interesting. I mean, he's so wise, and it's just—it's we're very Mm -hmm. lucky to have him here. I I, I loved
2: his his um, his his take on the movies. On how they're portrayed. I mean, w- w- what he doesn't like about movies to film.
1: So uh, visit com for a link over to Portis Previews to check it out, or just go to Portis2008.org for part two. Well, Matt, uh, we're not going to do anything else this week. As we said at the beginning, this is a very abbreviated
2: show. Yeah, it is. Well, it's because it's, it's a long interview. I mean, it's only half of the whole interview, too. Right,
1: and plus we did that fantastic live show earlier this week, which
2: was oh, two yeah. hours and 20 minutes, so... <sighs> I don't know. I don't know how you guys did the whole 12-hour thing. That just 2 hours just knocked it out of me.
1: You know the 12-hour live show, everyone a lot of people well everyone loved it. I mean, everyone who listened loved it. Um and we had such a fun time doing it. So maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, why not? Because it's a lot of work. That's why not. But um, we'll be back to our normal antics next week. There's a chance that we may skip MuggleCast, a new episode of MuggleCast next week. Just because uh, we need a little break. We've been really busy this week preparing for um these episodes. And, uh, and we yeah, had a triple header this weekend, pretty we, much. We did. Mugglecast triple header. One night was the live show, one night was recording this, and then the other night was recording Jim Dale. So, mm-hmm. a lot well, of work, t- man. well,
2: technically, we we redid the same episode twice. That's yeah. why it was a triple header. Because we. Well, sh- should we just tell him? Go ahead, reveal it. Okay. Well, technically, this is a. Th- 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 we did this the same show twice. We uh, we recorded with Micah, who was in the interview with us, and apparently, it wasn't... It, my internet was really horrible. I couldn't hear anything they were saying, so um, Andrew and I are just redoing um, the closing for everything. Yeah. That's why Micah's not on right now, so... And Just we had Make the Music no. Connection, we had rebuttals, we had news discussion, but... Uh, we had really... a lot of stuff, but we, we can probably hold that off until the next episode.
1: Yeah, we'll do that, and I think that may be a little bonus for Pickle Pack members. The lost yeah. episode. So um, mm-hmm. so um Pickle Packers, look forward to that. Anyway, like I said, we may be taking next week off, because we need a little break. We've been so... Seriously, we've been very busy this week with uh, all this mugcast stuff, but we're very happy with it, right, Matt? Oh, yeah, Totally. Been a good week for MuggleCast and its listeners. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I do want to remind everyone if they have any questions uh, about our interview with Jim Dale or any news that they've seen this week or anything else you want to discuss on a future episode, you can call into the MuggleCast hotline. Those numbers are in the United States 1-2-1-8-20 magic. If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial Zero two zero eight one double four zero six double seven, and if you're in Australia you can dial three five double six eight. you can also Skype the username MuggleCast just remember no matter how you call us keep your message under 60 seconds and eliminate as much background noise as possible so you sound crisp and clear you can also visit the MuggleCast website for a handy feedback form or contact any one of us at our first name at staff.mugglenet.com thank you Matt uh, how about community outlets uh, yeah why not we got we got the MySpace, the Facebook, YouTube, rapper, them, and the fan listing in the forums. You can also dig the show at dig.com, and don't forget to vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley. I think that does it for this special edition of MuggleCast, episode one thirty seven, with Jim Dale. Yeah, Matt, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for being the only host that can oh, come in. Oh, that's okay. Today,
2: it's not like I, I had anything else better to do. Yeah, it's a Saturday
1: night. What are, what are we gonna do? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I'm Andrew Sims, and I'm Matthew Britton. We'll see you next week or in two weeks for episode 138. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye.
0: You know, so um, all, all all of that is in the hands. Hold oh dear, just a minute. Can you hold on? I'll just get rid of this oh, person. Yes. Right. <laughs> no problem. Just a <laughs> <sighs> moment.
3: Um, blooper.
0: There we are. That was my wife saying. Oh. <laughs> okay. Aww. Okay. Aww. <laughs> yes, okay, no, um, I, I told her I was talking to you.